The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the, together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Um, would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we're diving into your scripture. I pray that you speak. I pray that you help us come a little bit closer to you, Lord, come closer to each other, uh, and where you have us going together. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So that question, why do we go to church, is something that I've been asking for a long, long time. And I actually remember the first time when I was really fixated on this question. I was 10 years old, and for the longest time, Saturday mornings had the best cartoons. And I was convinced of that, right? Where we had X-Men and Spider-Man and all these amazing cartoons. And so from 9 to 10.30 every morning, you knew where I was going to be on a Saturday. I was going to be sitting on the couch, ready for, you know, just right in the veins, right? However, one Sunday I got sick. And I mean, I was real sick. Uh, strep throat, puking. And so for the first Sunday, and as long as I could remember, I didn't go to church. So I was at home, and I found out that there were some pretty awesome cartoons on Sunday morning. There were stuff like the original Dragon Ball and Voltron, and I was just in love. And I had realized, what have I been missing out on, right? And so the next Sunday comes around, and I tell my mom, Mom, I really just want to watch cartoons. Can we not go to church? And my mom, she looked at me in her motherly way, and she nodded affirmatively, and she said, go and get in the car. And so I thought, okay, all right. I obviously need to think this through a little bit more. And so the next Sunday, my mom comes, and I'm like, well, Mom, guess what? I learned at church that we can talk and pray to God anywhere. So I think I want to pray to God on the couch this week. And my mom looked at me, and she affirmingly said, get in the car. We're going to church, right? So I'm thinking, okay, I obviously got to step up my game. And so the next Sunday, she shows up, and I've got the Bible on the couch, right? And I'm like, mom, I will read the Bible while you're at church, because this is God's Word, and I can hear it anywhere. And my mom looked at me and nodded affirmingly, and she said, get in the car. We're going to church, right? This is something that I have wrestled with my entire life. I will be completely honest with you. As a pastor, there are times where I'll be like, why? Why this way, God? Really, was this the best, most streamlined way for you to do this whole Jesus thing, this whole Christianity thing? And for me, most of the time, that question is stemming from, but God, it's really about me, isn't it? 
Right? In, the, in American Christianity, there's some really good stuff about it, but one of the, the, the tricks Satan's pulled on us is that we turn what Jesus and God is up to to a very individualistic question. Do you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? And if that is all Christianity is, then I am at the center of God's story. I am at the center of the story. And whenever I am at the center of the story, that's never a good place for me to be. Because all of a sudden, things like selfishness come in. And what I want supersedes what everyone else wants. My emotions dictate reality. My emotions dictate who I will love. My emotions dictate who I will serve, who I will talk bad about. One of my favorite quotes is from Anne Lamont, and she says, Whenever God seems to hate all the same people you do, you can faithfully assume that you've made him in your own image. Right? Which I think we all do that, right? But left to our own devices, left to our own individualism, that's what ends up happening. And yet when we look through Scripture, when we look at the ancient church and what God has done through that, what we find is that while God saves us individually, while God is your individual Father, He does not save you for isolation. He saves us for community. He saves us to connect us to himself and equally as important to connect us to each other. And so when we're looking at what does the church serve, why do we go to church? Well, going to the early church service, in fact, we're going to read today the first church service, the first sermon ever preached. Peter, right after the Holy Spirit comes down, him and the apostles, they leave, and he gives this message about who Jesus is, dying on the cross for the sake of humanity. And there's this massive crowd that's gathered around him. And that's where our Bible reading starts off today. That crowd's gathered around and they ask this question, what shall we do to be saved? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. We realize is very quickly at the very start of the church, oh, sorry, uh, is uh, this idea that there's going to be forgiveness of sins. Jesus told his earliest disciples, again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The heartbeat of our faith is the forgiveness of sins. And within the church, and I'm not just talking about one denomination, but within the church as a whole, we know that, we hear that. But sometimes we get into this idea that, well, your sins are forgiven once, and then you're supposed to be perfect. I can't make it five minutes without sinning, right? Like, I literally will not make it out that door without something in my head going wrong right? I might start being upset with someone, or I might start gossiping about someone, or I might, whatever it is, this idea that forgiveness of sins is a one-time event is not in Scripture. And in fact, what you see when you read the early apostles' writing is this rhythm where they're very honest. Guys, we need to keep asking for forgiveness. James says, therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power 
as it is working. What we see in Scripture is that the forgiveness of sins isn't a one-time event, but it's a posture. It's an ongoing way that we connect to God and receive His grace, where we receive His love, where we're able to be vulnerable. Because every week, right, I go about my life and I make all kinds of mistakes. And those mistakes start piling on. And the week gets heavier, and the week gets heavier, and the week gets heavier. And one of the rhythms that God creates in his church is something that we call confession and absolution. And this is where we are reminded that, yes, we are broken, we are sinful, but the word absolution means to absolve, means to make disappear, means to clear away. And so when Jesus tells his disciples, if you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven, God means it. Not that I have the power to forgive sins. I don't. But because I'm connected to Christ, because he says, you are my body, when I say the words, your sins are forgiven, or vice versa, when I hear you say the words back to me, your sins are forgiven, our sins are done. They are absolved, they're gone, and that weight is gone. Now, I'm not saying you have to wait for forgiveness of sins to come to church, right? That's not how it works. You have a direct line to the Father. Amen, forever and ever, you are his kids. And yet, there is something that happens when we come together and we hear the words, when we're able to be open and vulnerable with one another and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm still broken. I'm still not perfect. And we do it together, and there is power there. There is vulnerability there. And so part of the rhythm of this church is to find different ways where we can admit, you know what, God, we're still broken. Sometimes that's in the message. Sometimes that's in a moment of confession and absolution. Sometimes that's in the Lord's Supper. But a rhythm of the church, one of the reasons why we gather is to admit, yep, I still need you, God. And what's awesome is our God shows up and he rains down his grace. He rains down the reality that your sins are forgiven and he remembers them no more. You don't have to carry them anymore. Beyond that, though, it goes on and it says, And the first church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles learned directly from Jesus. Jesus' plan was he was going to bring this group of folks around him. He was going to teach them. And then he was going to send them out. As the Father is sending me, he said, now I am sending you. And so the apostles started to preach what Jesus had taught them. And that's important because when you come here, you don't hear Josh's political views. That's a good thing. You don't hear my views on where your money should go or what I personally was thinking about philosophically. No, we want to be a church that's foundation is on the words of Christ. And one of the ways that we do that is through the Apostles' Creed. And just a little bit of history on this. So early Christianity, when we think of how you would relate to God, how would you find out about God? Nowadays, you could pull out your Bible, you could pull out your app, you could go to Barnes & Noble, grab one, and you could start reading. Well, in ancient times, the literacy rate was under 1%. Right? Think about that for a second. Less than 1% of the entire world's population could read. Beyond that, there wasn't a printing press. And so it wasn't like we could print Bible after Bible after Bible. So how did people find out about who Jesus was? Well, we were an oral religion. We would hear God's word 
when the apostles would write their letters, write the Gospels, what would happen is the pastors or the elders, the deacons of the church would get up, they would read the Scripture, and you would hear it. And then they found a way to help people remember it. And one of the oldest ways we have of people remembering who God is, confessing who God is, is through the Apostles' Creed. Before someone would be baptized, they would recite the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and his only Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Christian church. It was a common faith. It was a way to put a foundation in to help people remember what we believed. And so one of our rhythms in this church is we say the creeds. Because at the end of the day, I never want this church to be my best thinking. One of my uh, seminary professors had a quote, and he said, if you've come up with a brand new theology, it's probably heresy. Which is true, right? Like, I'm not saying there aren't fresh ways to look at God or new understandings of him, but if, we, if I ever come to you with something new, that there is a fourth member of the Trinity, I'm doing something wrong, right? And so as a church, we say, no, we want to stand on a foundation that is deeper than us, that is deeper than the best thinking of not just me as pastor, but as us as a church. We want to stand on the foundation of God's word that we believe is still living and breathing. And so we do messages that are based off of Scripture. The foundation is the very words of Christ and his earliest followers and saying this is our foundation that has been through generation, through generation, through generation. And so when we gather together, we hear that message. And not just through a sermon, we hear that message through the songs. Again, you want to talk about ancient church. You can't read. How do you learn the faith? All of us can remember songs. Right? Your favorite song goes on the radio. You may have never physically seen the words to that song. You've never seen them written out, and yet you are belting it out at the top. Right? You're going to town on this sucker. ACDC, right? Queen, you're just screaming it. You've never seen the words, and yet, because you've heard it again and again and again, you know the words. And so we sing songs that are based off of Scripture that both help us emotionally relate to God, but also intellectually relate to God. And we do it together because there is something powerful about singing together. If you've ever been to a sports game, uh, Erica and I went to one of the Texas uh, football games a couple, weeks, uh, a couple months ago. And song after song after song, the entire crowd was singing together. 200,000 people just belting at the top of their lungs. And there was power there. In the same way that there is power when we gather together and we sing as one Lord who our God is and what our God has done. And again, we can do that individually, but there is something deeper that happens when we do it communally. Scripture goes on and says, they devoted themselves to fellowship. I had a friend up north who was convinced that the most important time of church was the 20 minutes before and after the service. He goes, because that's when I get to hear about what God is doing in the lives of my brothers and sisters. That's when I learn about needs or opportunities to serve, when I get to celebrate the joys and the highlights with them. Because it's not just about coming and hearing, just receiving intellectual data. It's about doing life together. And so the earliest church had fellowship with one another. They believed in one another. They learned about what God was doing, and they supported one another. And so we build that into our rhythm. 
of taking time before and after church. Even those who, listen, who show up late typically leave late, right? We spend time with one another. We build that into our rhythm of life. We do stuff like community groups. We call throughout the week. Because at the end of the day, when we say, why do we go to church? I don't want you to think about this as one hour on Sunday. As Jesus did not die on the cross for our sins for one hour on Sunday. Jesus didn't say the church is one hour out of a hundred some. No, it's a lifestyle. It's a posture. It's something that we do together. And they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. It's communion. It's shorthand for the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is an interesting meal. It's an interesting moment because so much of what God is doing comes into it. In the Lord's Supper, we again hear the words of who our God is. We are invited into the story where Jesus says, this is my bread broken for you. This is my, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, a new covenant. We're invited into the story, but communion literally means community union. And so it's not just about being invited into the story and saying, okay, God, now I'm connecting to you. It's also about us connecting together. And I can't take communion by myself. It doesn't make sense to take communion by myself. The whole point of it is God saying, I am building a new community, and this is, the one, of the, this is one of the ways that you're going to connect to each other. You're going to reach out and touch one another, and we're going to reach up and touch God together. He says, I'm going to come down here. I'm going to do life with you, and then you guys are going to do life together. And so part of the rhythm of our church is taking the Lord's Supper together. Is saying, no, we want to be connected to one another. We don't want to be isolated. We don't want to have to be on the couch by ourselves. God's saying, no, I want to invite you into community, and I want you to have unity with that community. They devoted themselves to prayer, Scripture says. What I love about the Lord's Prayer is that it's, while it is personal in the sense that it's our Father that we're talking to, it's communal, right? Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our Father. Not just my Father. Right? And mind you, he is individually our Father. Right? So we have that personal relationship, that personal connection. But even in the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, it's communal. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. We are praying for all of us to be okay. And forgive us our trespasses. We're saying, God, all of us together are broken. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, it's not merely an individualistic prayer. He says, guys, I want you to do this together. I want you to pray for each other. I want you to move from the broken world's view of all that matters is what you think and your struggles and your successes. And he says, no, now you're part of a community and I want you to celebrate that community together. I want you to mourn with that community together. And part of the way we do that is through prayer. And again, do not hear me in saying that you can only pray at church. No, no. Pray continuously, Scripture tells us. And yet something powerful happens when we gather together and we pray the Lord's Prayer together, when we pray for our neighbors, when we pray for our family, when we pray for the, our community in a world that is still broken and hurting. Something unique 
happens in this time. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Part of our rhythm is the offering. And this is always a challenging space for me as a pastor to enter into because there's so many there's so much bad theology behind offerings in American Christianity where if you back up your truck to God, God's going to back up his truck to you, right? That's not what the offering's about. The offering is about saying, you know what, God? We see what you're doing, and we want to participate in that. And we want to do that holistically. We don't want to just say, all right, God, I'm going to give you this part of my life, but this part of my life is going to be mine. Because again, that's putting me at the center of the story of what God is doing. And instead, what we see in Scripture is people who are so caught up into how God is moving that they're like, I want to participate in that holistically with all of me. And so generosity becomes the saying, you know what, God, I want to take that next step. And I think for some of us, we can go into this idea, well, I've reached my limit. God, I made it to that percentage number. Or God, I give X amount. And God's sitting there up there like, guys, it's not about an amount. It's about taking that next step. And that next step might be the first step. Go Team Jesus. That next step may be, all right, God, I'm going to go here. Whatever it is, the reason why we do an offering every week is it's part of the way that we participate in what God is doing and we do it communally. As a church, we stand up and we say, yes, I believe in what you're doing, God. And I want to have a holistic approach to that. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What I love about this is it makes it really clear this is not about Sunday. Or at least it's not just about Sunday. Every day they met together. They praised God together. They celebrated together. They worked in the community together. And that community stood like a beacon on a hill where the rest of the world that was caught up in that individualistic thinking looked out and said, wow, that's different. Why are they being so generous to each other? Why are they praying for one another? That's not his problem. And that difference was literally when Jesus said, the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And the world got to peek in. and They saw forgiveness, but they didn't have to carry around all their baggage. They saw community where there was actual unity together where they would celebrate together, where they would mourn together, and that became the platform that the early church talked about Jesus, about that forgiveness of sins, about that personal relationship with God. But then it took that personal relationship and it brought them into community. And the Lord continued to expand what he was doing. Guys, as we talk about where we're going as a church, what we're really talking about is where God is taking us together. 
And the same reason why we did Unleashed, and the whole point of that was realizing that you are the people of God, designed in his image, and he wants us to walk together. That's where we're going. And it's not about me as a pastor. It's not about our staff. It's about the body of Christ. I'm excited about this. I'm excited about who God has brought into this church. And more importantly, I'm excited about the God who has brought us together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. Lord, we um, confess that often we can make our religion all about ourselves. How you can serve us. How you can make us feel better. How we can be at the center of the story. And yet, God, we know that you are a God who's calling us out of those selfish, self-seeking spaces into community. So we pray for your forgiveness. We are bold to come to a God who offers grace without end. But Lord, we don't want to just go to zero. We don't want to just be washed clean, Lord. We want to be created in your likeness, and we want to have that kind of community. And so we pray over this church, Lord. We pray over this people that you unite us, that you connect us to you. Lord, that we don't have to be alone anymore. And Lord, that our community would be that light on a hill where when people see from the outside, they see a life-giving, forgiving, loving community. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.